know, it's amazing how God puts things together, not only the music, but um, when you begin to search for a text for God to, to help you land on something that you feel like He would have you to share, it not only happens through, wow, you show up and things are musically in tune to that, and then you have the Room at the End video, and, and you have great testimony, and, and, and you have, we had a great memorial service for Brother Mike yesterday. And you begin to hear it all start to piece together. And it's like, wow, God, thank you. Because it's hard to jump in on the end of a, um, of a series or in the middle of a series and, and figure out, God, now where would you have me go with that? And so today, uh, the Lord had led me to this passage of Scripture in Titus and um, we know that it's part of the pastoral epistles, and uh, that's okay. Um, because when we move into chapter 3, Paul has um, Titus, he's given Titus instruction um, on what to do with the Crete, believers there at Crete and those churches. And, um, you know, I, it's not intentional that I skip the first two verses. It's just I know that if I tried to preach those two as well, we'd be here much longer. So I, I went ahead and I, I went past those. But I want you to understand that those first two verses are very important when he talks about reminding them to be good citizens, not to say or do or speak evil to no one, and to be peaceful and gentle with people. And so that is not something that is just intentionally skipped. That's why I read it. I want you to remember that. But we're going to start off um, looking in a, the different verse in, in chapter 3. But I want to talk to you, just give you a little bit of background here. Um, Paul is sending Titus to Crete. And uh, to convey to the believers of Crete that they, you know, they are the, they're young, struggling churches. They're going through a lot. And uh, there's false teachers there. And there's false doctrine being proclaimed there. And there was no harmony among them. And they, there was a, a large lack of morals. And, uh, and also, there was, they were abusing the grace of God. You know, when I hear that, I think of those who feel like God's salvation in us is just a get-out-of-hell-free pass. And it's just, hey, I'm saved now, I can do what I want to do. And that's far from what God has for us in our life. When God comes and sends His Holy Spirit to live in our life, it should cause a difference and a change in us. But Titus was much like Paul in leadership, and he felt very confident in Titus to go and do what he had called him to do. He knew he knew how to do it, and uh, he knew he would work as long and as hard as he needed to to get it done. With the thought of Paul saying, you know what to do, son? Go get them. Let them know exactly what I have told you. So they needed to set up some leadership there. We, we hear over in chapter 1 and 2, we see where setting up the elders and, and teaching the older men and women to be examples for the younger men and women and, and teaching them. And so they were learning their responsibilities in the church. And so a prophet of theirs, to understand how the, what the Cretans were actually 
acting like uh, one of their own said in chapter 1, verse 12, said, Cretans will always be liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, wouldn't that be an awesome way to be known as a church body? I, I wouldn't want our church body to be known that way, and I know for sure that it's not. But wow, how, to, how would we be known as evil liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons? Now, I can be a lazy glutton sometimes. I am tempted to overeat. But I don't like to pride myself on ever being able to lie. So um, the glutton thing might happen periodically. So um, we'll just skip that part. Um, <laughs> but Titus had the task of trying to teach this church the way that a truly effective ministry should be done. And so I looked at this chapter and I realized that it was just as relevant today as it, it, as it was then. We um, especially we see how relevant it is as we look at the news. If you, how many of you guys watch the news in the morning? Wow, I'm surprised. Y'all hate it too, don't you? Yeah. Um, the news is a very discouraging thing to cut on in the morning. You think, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for this day. Praise you, God. I, I'm, I've enjoyed being in your word this morning. And then you, poop, you cut on the TV and it's like, well, okay. This is going to be a horrible day. But that's not the case. We know that God is on our side and that as long as we trust in Him, our day can be good even when the world's day is bad. You know, every year our, our church, uh, I mean our president, gives us a State of the Union address. And he makes it sound pretty good, doesn't he? He makes it sound real good. But... From where I'm sitting and from where I'm looking from, you know, we have a telescope here, and from where I'm looking from, it doesn't look very good to me. The State of the Union is not a very, very good state to me. And then we have a state of the church body, the body of Christ, the believers. That body is not in good shape either. It's not looking good. Because of all the things that we are going through as a church body. We see that many pastors and associate pastors throughout the world, they're falling victim to different things in the church. And as they continue to fall, it continues to give the church of Jesus Christ one black eye after another black eye. And it's sad to watch it happen. But you know what? I heard one guy say, guy say one time when I went to a conference, he said, I find myself apologizing for everybody else. Because when he tries to minister a witness to someone, what happens is, is they say, no, I don't want to hear it because of certain people in their life, because of a certain church in their life. And he said, what I end up having to do is say, listen, I apologize for what they did to you. But please understand that we're not all like them. And so he finds himself apologizing for other churches and for other people. And so we see the same things in the churches today that was going on in Crete. We see a lack of leadership. We see lack of morals. We see lack of true doctrine. We see a lack of true teachers of the word. It doesn't matter what thus saith the Lord anymore. We can open the Bible and read from it, 
but then we add all of our opinions in on top of God's Word, and we make it what we live by. Why? Because we don't read it ourselves. Whenever someone stands before you and brings a message, it's always good to have the Word of God in front of you so that you can follow along and you can see what thus saith the Word of the Lord. And when additions and subtractions begin to happen, we know when that begins to happen. And we can say, nope, that's not what I believe. And that's not what the Word of God says. But pastors, they're afraid nowadays. They're afraid to preach the Word of God out of fear of being politically correct, ridiculed, or fired. We skip those things that might offend. And like I said in the first service, we want to be spiritually correct way before we're politically correct. Spiritually correct and politically correct is an oxymoron in today's society. If you want to be politically correct, you're going to have a big problem with what is preached from this pulpit. Because the world is not spiritually correct. And it goes against everything that God has called us to be. I didn't become a minister of the gospel to back down and to hide my head in the sand. I became a minister of the gospel because I love people enough to share the love with them in truth, the truth with them in love. I want to share the truth with people that I come in contact with. But I want to do it in love. I can't hammer them, take the Bible, and beat them upside the head. I can't hold up signs outside of things that they're doing and expect them to receive me. Matter of fact, when I see that, it ticks me off. Because why? Why would you stand up there and say, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, except Jesus today, you're going to hell. Oh, well, that's great, I'm going to hell, I'm going to have fun getting there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen it? Isn't that sad that we would be out there telling people they're going to hell rather than opening up your arms and putting something in their hand and telling them that you love them on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives in you. But we get on our judgmental perch and we start pointing our judgmental fingers and we forget where God has brought us from. And I also did not become a minister of the gospel because I was perfect. I don't stand up here before you as a perfect man. No man can, unless Jesus was standing here. I'm not perfect. All I want to do is see imperfect people come to know a perfect God and to accept His Son as their Savior. And even though we share the love the truth in love, we realize that sometimes that love does hurt. But that love I call conviction. Because in Hebrews 4.12, it says that God's word is as sharp as any two-edged sword. And so, I want to share the truth of God and love. Our country is in crisis today. Our churches are in crisis today. And we see church after church falling by the wayside immoral decay, submitting themselves to the world and what they say is right, out of fear, 
out of fear, fear of losing people in the congregation, out of fear of being prosecuted or being sued. And that's happening so much right now. And they're afraid of being persecuted. Our dear brother will share at the end of the service about some persecution that he's gone through. I'm not going to ruin that for you. But it, was, uh, it is definitely what's happening to the church today. And I wanted to share with you also uh, a little part from a sermon from James McDonald. I saw this uh, yesterday and I said, how can I not share it? But it says, you might not be surprised that Brazil is the number one receiving nation of foreign ministries in the world. But you might be surprised about who is the second most missionary receiving nation in the world. And that's us. The nation that used to send missionaries all over the world is now having missionaries from all over the world sent to us. And that's a sad situation. That's a very sad situation. Of 250,000 Protestant churches in America, 200,000 are either stagnant with no growth or declining. That is 80% of the churches in America. 4,000 churches close their door every single year. 4,000. There's less than half of the number of the churches today than there were 100 years ago. And 3,500 people leave church every single day. Why is that? Why are people leaving churches every single day? 3,500. Since 1950, there are one-third fewer churches in the U.S. There's a third fewer churches in the U.S. Why? Because we have forgotten the very promises of God. We have forgotten what our history is and the foundational values of God's Word that made this country great, that made our churches great. And we have forgotten what God, as a church, has called us to do. And I don't mean just our church. I'm talking about the church body, the body of Christ united. We have forgotten what God has called us to to do. If we're not careful, we'll hold loosely to the world and to the church at the same time. And that's a scary thought because when we leave here two times a week, what are we releasing? The church. And we're going back into the world. Is it evident in you that Jesus is still very much connected to you throughout the week? We have to be very careful or we'll become like the Cretans were. We can live in such a way that we begin to live a lie. And we don't even realize it. Liars become good at what they do. But they can't stop themselves. My wife's not in here now, so I, I don't think. The girl, one of the girls I dated before I met my wife... Praise be unto God. <laughs> she was a habitual liar. And she lied, and she lied, and she lied until she thought her lies were true. Until my wife came on the scene, which was my girlfriend at the time, and she, is very, she has a very discerning spirit. And she said, that girl is a liar. 
And she got on the phone with this girl, and she began to tell her every lie that she had told. Every lie. And the girl's mom got on the phone. And she heard every lie that had been told. And she's like, that never happened. And see, she, in her mind, thought that, yes, it did happen. She began to lie to cover one lie to cover another lie till this, that was reality to her. And that's what happened to the Cretans. They had become good liars. They had become evil beasts. And they had become lazy gluttons. And I know more people that way, and I'm sure you do. But it reminds me of a verse from Isaiah 29, 13. It says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Why our heart? Why is our heart removed far from Him? Because what our heart desires is what drives us. What you think about on a constant basis all day long is what drives you. That is becoming your God. That is becoming your idol. Your heart longs for that particular thing. Their hearts were moved from God because when God moves into our life, He pushes those things out. And we begin to think and draw upon Him. But if we remove our heart from God, if we lay out a church, if we don't read His Word, if we don't pray then the enemy has the opportunity to allow our hearts to draw close to something else. And so their hearts were removed, but oh, he says, they draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips. They're good at playing the praise and worship game, but when they leave church, they're a totally different person. So their mouths said one thing, their hearts said another. More people live by the flesh in our society. They live by the flesh, and their hearts are given to lust and power. What can I obtain? When man is making the rules, we see that in the last part of that verse, that, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of man. In society, when man makes the rules, and they're far from what God said we should make our rules by, then man began to make rules that only satisfy the flesh and satisfy our desires for what we want. And in the church house, when man begins to make the rules, they make the rules as they go. There's people in the churches that begin to say, well, we need to stop doing that. Or we need to start doing this, and we need to, to, to get everybody on board and, and, and make these rule changes. That is not how God's Word works. God made the rules, and we are to follow those rules. Man is not to make the commandments for us. Man is not to make the rules for us. God gave them a foundational basis for those rules. But they are one by one shoving them out of the Constitution and shoving them by the wayside. And it's, afraid, it, it's, very, it's a fear. Uh, it brings fear into the church and it brings fear into man. For in the church house, 
we can't cause people, we can't make people fear the Lord by putting a bunch of unnecessary legalistic rules on them. Because what will they do? They'll turn their back on the church and they'll walk away. There's all kinds of churches out there that have all kinds of rules. Like, we can't, we can't wear pants. We've got to wear a suit. You can't wear a dress. Ladies don't wear makeup. Women and men don't wear an earring. You know, there's all kinds of neat little things that we can put our hands on people and say, oh no, you can't do this. We don't accept you if so. I've heard so many horrible stories about how churches have asked people to leave if the ladies don't have a dress on and they got pants on or whatever it is. Isn't that a shame that pants has become more important than people's soul? That, that just breaks... I don't understand. I, I can't even fathom that. How have we gotten that far away? It's not about your pants. Unless they're hanging way down past your backside. <laughs> it's not about your dress unless it comes up to here. It's about loving Jesus. It's about loving people like Jesus would. It's not about the way you dress or the way you look. we got to love the person first. Jesus doesn't change people from the outside in. He changes us from the inside out. So we need to trust Him for those things. And so Paul was sending Titus to give the Cretan church a reminder that they needed to get back on track. And so it's by God's grace that we are where we are. And sometimes uh, we forget God's grace and mercy and we become judgmental and forget where we came from and he, what He has done for us and where we are headed. So I want to show you three things real quickly this morning. I want to share with you the realization of the church, the Christian life. The first thing I want you to see is we must realize that we are without, where we were without Christ. Where were we? And I say we as in us. Remember he says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts, pleasures, living in malice. That's the intention or desire to do evil, ill will, and envy. Envy meaning a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regard to another's advantages or success or possessions. It says we ourselves were once all those things. Have we forgotten where the Lord brought us from? Have we forgotten, forgotten the things that we were doing when God found us? When God called us to be His? Have we forgotten that? The Cretans were dealing with the characteristics that we see in our world and churches. They, people were not speaking to one another because of hurt or hate. Foolishness. We all know people that do foolish things. We all know people that can harbor a grudge until you figure, well, they're going to carry that to their deathbed with them. But we know there's people who don't speak to one another out of hurt or hate, do foolish things. They're disobedient. That's self-explanatory. They're deceived by false teachers. Man, people jump on every bandwagon that comes by today. We're all going, to, we're all serving the same God. We're all headed toward the same place. We're just all doing it in a different way. I don't agree with that. Do you agree with that? 
I don't think so. I don't think that's any way, shape, or form correct. But it sounds familiar, and I've heard it come from the very men of God who claim to be men of God. And intentions to do harm and evil to others, wanting what others have, willing to do whatever it takes to obtain it. That's what our society is about today. I will work a hundred hours this week just to get what that guy's got. They have more than we do, so now we've got to up the ante a little bit and have something more that they got. That's society. It's all about what we don't have and what you do have, which causes envy. So we want to see that uh, we want to look past these actions that we see in our homes and our businesses and, and in our churches because this is not the way God has called us to live our life. Being a Christian and remembering what the Lord has done for us should not cause us to be arrogantly proud, but it should cause us to be humbly grateful. But what happens a lot of times is when we see people that are living in a life of sin, we turn our nose up and we say, wow, I can't believe they'd live that way. I can't believe they'd do things that way. And that's just unbelievable. But where were you before God found you? Our hearts should be breaking for those who are outside the family of God because we were there. Yes, sin should cause discomfort. It goes against the Spirit of God that's within us. We should turn our face away from things we shouldn't be looking at. But we don't have to turn our face and ourself away from people who need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the whole hate the sin and love the sinner mentality. We don't have to take part in their sin to love them like Jesus. And when we see the protests and the riots, and I'm sure if you're on Facebook or you do watch the news, you've seen them. You've seen the different riots, whether it's been over a flag or whether it's been over same-sex marriage or whatever it's been over, it, there's a new one every day. And we wonder, wow, why do they act like that? Because they don't know Him. They don't know who He is. They've heard about Him. But the only way they've experienced Jesus Christ is by those who are holding up the signs saying, you're going to hell in a handbasket for being a homosexual. That's how they've learned who, what the love of Jesus is. Do you remember who Jesus ate with and hung around? All the sinners. Why? Because they needed Jesus. They needed Him. They needed to experience the love and the power that He possessed. It wasn't, he didn't care what anybody else thinks. But we don't know what people have lived through. We don't know what situations they've been in. We don't know how they've been treated or hurt. But we must remember we were doing what we were doing when the Lord found us. Some of us didn't have a harsh upbringing. Some of us had buy-in-the-sky type lives you know it was i went to school i had everything i needed i didn't have any objections my parents were good to me my dad never slapped me around you know we had perfect what we would think would be a perfect childhood but there's other people that haven't had that 
They haven't had it. You see it on television all the time where people have turned to a life of crime or people have murdered someone or, or there's some type of scandal going on. There, it, it, things are different in their life. Can you even sit and imagine what they have experienced in their life to bring them to that place? You see people hurting in so many different ways. And we think, wow, there's no way I would do that. It breaks my heart to see the, the conditions that our children are growing up in, the things that I hear them. When I worked at Fairview Elementary School, I used to hear kids tell me, I saw my dad beat my mom last night. These are little kids. I saw my dad put his fist through the wall. I saw me and my dad sat down and watched horror movies last night. My mom and my dad fight all the time. And we wonder, what's wrong with our kids? What's wrong with that little boy that's picking on my son? What's wrong with that little girl that's picking on my son or daughter? It's because of what they're experiencing in their life. And we've had foster children in our home, and some of you have had foster children in your homes, and we've experienced things that we never thought we would ever hear. Because of the life that their family members had lived. And instead of being able to do anything about it, they have learned to just callous their heart and become bitter and to back away and to move away from everybody who could possibly love them. And then to come into a Christian home who wants to love them, that's the total opposite of what they're wanting to experience. But it's amazing that through time, they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least begin to soften their heart. We don't know how someone could grow up to be a certain way. We don't know how people could act a certain way. We don't know how they could live like that. Whitfield said when he came, when he saw a criminal on their way to the gallows, he said, there but for the grace of God go I. It's just because of the grace of God that I did not grow up in someone else's house, that I did not have to go through some of the things that I've seen other people go through. Even people in my own house, people in my own family have went through things that I would have never imagined. But it should break our hearts to know these things. It should break our hearts to know that everyone hasn't felt or heard or experienced the love of God. Paul says, tell them, when you were, tell them to remember when you were that way. Now deal with others the way God dealt with you. If we dealt with people the way God, if, we dealt with, if God dealt with us the way people deal, we deal with other people, we would be in trouble. We're not quite as forgiving, are we? We don't overlook things quite as easy, do we? But God does. God forgives us. He loved us unconditionally. He looked past all my faults while I was like all the other people without Him. He died for me. He forgave me. I once was a sinner with no hope, and now I'm a sinner saved by mercy and grace. And He is my only hope. I just can't understand, I can't fathom why He loves me that much. I don't understand why He would love me that much. 
When you look at Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints that which is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't think I'll ever, on this side of heaven, be able to grasp the height, the width, and the length of God's love. It passeth knowledge. We can know the love of Christ because He loves us. We experience that love, but we can never understand and grasp exactly why it is He loves us. Why would He love us? And how would He love us so much? In verse 19, it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He continues to pour out in abundance the gifts and the grace upon us that we don't deserve. But in the amazement of it all, it should cause us to think to ourselves, if He loved me that much, He loves them. He loves the world. So we see the realization of Christ's life. We've got we to realize the realization of the Christian life. We must realize where we were without Christ. And we must realize what Christ has done for us. What has Christ done for us? What has He done for you? It says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which have been done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We have read all that we were without Christ. We know what we were Knowing what we were should keep us clinging to Jesus Christ, should keep us clinging to the Word of God, and should keep us ever before the throne of God in prayer. I don't ever want to go back to what I used to be. How many of y'all want to go back to where you used to be? Anybody? Any takers? No. Praise God. I'm glad that I don't have to go back because He saved me from everything that I've ever done. Everything that I'll ever do and the things that I'll do today, He has saved me. The most, one of the most awesome events of our life starts right there in verse 4 when it says, but, but when kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Appeared to who? Appeared to the broken, to the lost, to the widow and the orphan, to man, woman, boys, girls, thieves, prostitutes, homosexuals, liars, murderers, you, me, you fill in the blank. His kindness appeared to me, and it appeared to you when we didn't deserve it. And in verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It was all Him. It was all about Him. It was all Him. He is the reason for anything that good, that's good that comes out of me. He is the reason for us to convey love and good works with a Christ-like attitude toward others. Works without Christ is useless. And faith without works is dead, according to James. Good works should be because we're humbly grateful. That's why we do good things. Not because I'm somehow gaining more in heaven with God more than you. God loves us. He loves us unconditionally. We're all on the same playing field. We do works because we love God and He loved us. Not because we just think we should. 
We also see another but there in verse 5, and it says, But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing the Holy Spirit. Because what Christ did, God was willing to extend mercy to us. He saved us. What is it that, we, that it came through, washing and regeneration? That moment when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the washing of regeneration is that instantaneously change of the Holy Spirit that cleanses us in that new birth that Jesus talked to Nicodemus about in John 3, 5, when he said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I like what J. Vernon McGee says. He says, The water represents the Word of God. The Bible will wash you. It has sanctifying power, cleansing power. We are cleansed by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. Born of water and the Spirit. Will we be perfect? No. Will we make mistakes? Yes. Which is the reason for the renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is the continual process of the Christian living whereby we are enabled by the Holy Spirit which res results in growth and character and good works. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit continues to wash us and grow us and cause us to grow. Verse 6 says, Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God didn't just give us a taste or a tease. He gave us everything all at one time in excess. He poured out His Holy Spirit in abundance upon us when we accepted Him. Amen? Praise the Lord. We need an outpouring of abundance again, obviously. We need to know, we need to be reminded of what the Holy Spirit has done in and through our lives. And it's not just given a little at a time. It's received in abundance. Receiving the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand, is not some kind of sanctification process where you become good enough that you finally get it. I remember trying to figure that out as a kid. It's like, when do I get to be sanctified? When do I get to have it? And I finally realized there in the time that you're going to get it, you already got it. God gave you all of Him all at one time in abundance. Amen? He gave Himself to us all, all of it. I like to I use a story in the first service about what if you um, were covered with some kind of chemical on your body that would eat your flesh off. And think about this in the way of the Holy Spirit and sin. And then you come to me and you say, Brother, you got to help me. I got this stuff on me. And I said, Well, come on over to the sink and I'll splash water on you. I'll give you a little at a time. Is that going to work? No. But I say, Come on over here to this water hose. I'm going to turn this thing on and I'm going to blast you off with it. Just keep turning around in circles. And I'm going to get this off of you. Does that sound like a better idea? That's what I like to think. God gave us the Holy Spirit in abundance and He washed that nasty, evil sin off of us. Not that we don't still fail and make mistakes, but He continues to wash us and clean us and causes us to grow on a daily basis. I love that song that the Perrys used to sing. It says, Get under the spout where the glory comes out. That, when I was writing that part, I thought, Wow. I had to go and listen to it. 
almost had a spell just in the kitchen this morning. Get under the spout where the glory comes out. The Holy Spirit just falls upon us in a way and in abundance. It's amazing what God has done for us. So we've got to realize where we were without Christ. We've got to realize what Christ has done for us. And we must realize where we're going with Christ. My favorite verse here, it says, that having been justified, made right, by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Spirit Himself in Romans 8 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. How many of you are happy to be heirs with God? Co-heirs with Jesus. If that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. You just don't, you can't get happy at all. Because I'm a co-heir with Jesus. What God has given Him that I ain't even earned, or deserve, I get to be a co-heir with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. We should be excited. We should be thrilled. We should be, wow. You're saying, Jesse, why are you telling us this? We already know all this. We're Christians. Because, brothers and sisters, we know. But they don't. They don't know. They don't know that joy, unspeakable and full of glory. They don't know what it means to get under the spout where the glory comes out. We have to learn to take a step back from our roles and our positions and our busy lives and think about, wow, look at where you took me from, God. Now what am I to do with that? Where am I to go with that, Lord? Because He's made us right by His grace. We have the potential, I have the potential, to be a very lazy person, spiritually and physically. But God has not called us to be lazy Christians. He's not called us to have cliques, my four no more. He hasn't called us to, to have our little holy huddles, and there's no room for no one else. And people get like a dog with a bone sometimes when you move in on their territory. That's not what God has called us to do. Now, we are heirs with God, co-heirs with Jesus. This is our great hope, the hope of eternal life. Let me read that again. I don't think you heard me. Now, we are heirs with God, co-heirs with Jesus. This is our great hope, the hope of of eternal life. We have a great hope. We have a great hope to give to those who are hopeless today. Verse 8, and I end with this, tells us what to do. It says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm. That means assert positively. Maintain as true. Be consistent with it. That those who have believed in God should... Be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. God, a good works produced by the realization of where we were without God, what Christ has done for us, and where we are going with Christ. These things are good and profitable to men. Not our opinions, 
Not our perceptions, not our judgments, not our useless works done for self. Good works are done to be profitable, to win people to Christ, not turn them away. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.